Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we're going to continue studying in the book of Acts today. Acts chapter 17 is what we're going to, to look at as we continue uh, seeing how the Lord is working in the early church. And all that God is doing there, and in how his kingdom has been established, and how his kingdom is advancing. And I hope that you um, caught really the theme of our worship this morning. We sang about a king, and we sang about his kingdom. And here in Acts chapter 17, as we continue looking at Paul and Silas, Timothy on this second missionary journey that Paul is in, we're going to look at how the kingdoms of this world have been affected by Paul proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ was king, and his kingdom is now as well as it is a future kingdom. But I want to start um, this morning with just a short little video, just a very, very short video. I ran across this video a couple of weeks ago, and I've laughed at this video um, several times. I'm Andrew Alexa, and I did this all by myself. Wow, and what does it say? <laughs> Not Peter, Blake. <laughs> Silly Peter. What does that say? <laughs> Can I help? I think that is the hilarious, the most hilarious video ever. Um, and I have laughed way too much at that video and watching it over and over. Just a short 22 seconds. You see this little boy named Andrew, and he has a brother named Peter. And Andrew is so proud of himself, and he's called his mom, and mom is so proud of Andrew. And she is filming Andrew, and he spelled his name on the refrigerator. But little Peter could not, could not let Andrew have his little spotlight for just a moment. I'm sure little Peter couldn't even spell his own name, didn't know what Andrew had written, but he knew that his brother had actually done that, and he had to put a stop to it and get the spotlight on himself. And if you'll watch, there's little Andrew standing next to the refrigerator with his little letter magnets, and Peter's nowhere to be seen when the video starts, but he slowly creeps into the picture because he knew that Andrew had the spotlight. Uh, we have enjoyed uh, this past week having my mom and my sister and my niece with us. And I always get nervous when my sister comes because she tells stories. Now, my sister tells stories from her perspective. My perspective is a different perspective and, and the right perspective, according to me, right? She saw it with her eyes and I see it with my eyes. And once in a while, Melissa just eggs us on and says, tell this story or tell this story that we've told a million times. The truth of the matter is all of us live our life from our own perspective, right? 
And in this short little video, Andrew's living this life from his perspective, and he's so proud of what he's done that he spelled out his name. He got his mom to actually film him and to share that he put his name on there. And he actually pointed out when mom says, what does it say? And Peter sneaks into the video. He doesn't say Andrew. He says, not Peter, and Peter can't have the spotlight. If you've ever been around kids very long, and it doesn't take very long at all, for you to be around kids, that you realize kids live their life through their own perspective. And they take very, very little consideration of the world that is actually around them. Because when we are born, we are born as selfish beings, right? And we like to get our own way. Maybe it was just me. You're being extra quiet this morning. Maybe that was just me. Don't say yes, Jamie. But every one of us have experienced that. Maybe we never noticed it about ourselves, but we notice it when we're around kids. If you've ever even been around kids, or maybe you were actually babysitting kids, you probably heard something like this. My parents let me eat ice cream in bed and jump from the top of the stairs to the couch, right? Because kids know that if somebody's around them, If they just tell the story from their perspective, it's okay to eat ice cream in bed. Or if you've uh, been around kids, they learn to play mom against dad. They ask mom, and mom says no. So then they go to dad, and they ask the same question. But they do not tell the whole of the story that mom already said no. So they come to dad And then they pour out their their question, and dad says yes. And then they happily go about their way to get what they want. Now, we think that this is just in kids, right? We think that this is just kids. But if we'll realize and examine our own lives, this happens for every one of us as well. If you don't get the deal that you want, right, what do you do? You just keep going somewhere else. And we explain it away as, well, this is what I want, and so I'm going to actually pursue that. And then we actually think, well, if I don't get the loan that I want, then I'm going to actually keep shopping for a loan. And while there is some values to keep, or there is value in making sure we keep shopping to get the best deal, the point is every one of us live our lives by nature for ourselves. And you know, this is exactly what Paul is preaching in Acts chapter 17. We are a selfish people. We are selfish people. We want to see the world through our own lens and ignore everything that is outside of us. And absent Jesus Christ coming in to transform the corrupt heart and the selfish heart that every one of us have, we all keep living life this way. I want what I want. I'm going to get whatever I want. And if I don't get it, then I'm going to find a better deal down the road. We do that with vehicles. We do that with cars. We do that with jobs. And we even do that in relationships. Because the heart inside of us, not transformed, is selfish, and we live lives all about ourselves. And then what we do, every new generation that comes in, I'm not sure where we're at. There was X, and then there was Y, and then there was Z. We ran out of letters, and then we started having this generation, the millennials, and then there's this one and this one. And I I forget where we're at in the generations right now and what this generation is actually called. But you know what we do when we get older? We say, oh, they're the most selfish generation that I've ever seen. 
And we forget where we lived our lives with our own little selfish hearts, just like Peter was in the video. Andrew can't have his spotlight, so I'm going to wipe it off, and I want the camera on me. This is how we live our lives. And this is why we need a Savior. And this is why we need a King. And Paul, in Acts chapter 17, has actually begun his second missionary journey, and he's actually traveling around, and he's not only preaching about a Savior, but he's preaching about a King as well. So follow along with me in Acts chapter 17, if you would. When Paul and his companions passed through um, Amphilophilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Verse 5, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and then let them go. Here in this passage of Scripture, we see Paul preaching about the good news which was Jesus Christ, and the kingdom that Jesus had actually come to establish right here on the earth, as well as to go away and prepare a future kingdom in eternity for us as well. And so in this passage of Scripture, what Paul has done is he's gone into the synagogue, and he then takes the Scripture, and this is key, and I want you to catch what Paul is doing here. He begins with the Jewish believers in the synagogue where they would gather to worship Yahweh, uh, God, and there he takes the scriptures that they would actually be using to prove, Acts 17 tells us, that Jesus Christ is actually who he said he was, that he came to suffer and die and rose again so that he would be our Savior and then went away to prepare a place for us. And then not only that, but he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit for his return to infill us so that we actually then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you say, where in the world do you get all of that from reading Acts chapter 17? Well, you go back and you read Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 16. And this was the consistent message of Paul and the apostles all along. And so when Paul steps into the Jewish synagogue in Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica, and he begins preaching about the good news, and he begins preaching about the Savior and the Messiah, and he begins preaching about the King, it was a consistent message. And how do we know that that was the actual message that he was preaching? Because you see that some Jews actually had their lives transformed because of the message. 
And then, not only the Jews, but also some of the Greeks, and it's pointed out at the end of verse 4 that there were some very prominent women, and we'll see how they actually play out as future leaders in the church as well. Prophets, prophetesses, uh, evangelists, and teachers in, in the actual church in future chapters of the book of Acts. But here, what we see and can be celebrated in Acts chapter 17, our lives are actually being changed. And not only was it lives being actually transformed and lives actually being changed, whenever you see the fullness of the scripture, well, let me, let me read this actually to you. Verse 6. Um, um, verse, verse 6, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before this city official, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one actually called Jesus. So you see what's happening here to these believers these new believers that Paul has gone into the synagogue and preached and the Jews and the Gentiles, men and women, young and old, are giving their lives to Jesus. Not only are the lives being transformed, but the society, the culture is actually being transformed. They describe it in the scripture as they're causing chaos all over the world. And, the, and even Caesar is concerned because Paul is coming and he's seeing the lives transformed as he's preaching the gospel. He's seeing people change and the way that people live are cha is changing as well. Because whenever Jesus comes into your life, he not only saves you for a future heavenly kingdom, he saves you so that your life on earth will be changed as well. And what's happening here is all the people in the culture and the people in the, in the society are noticing, hey, there's something different about these people. These people aren't living their lives the same way any longer. They've changed what they're actually doing. And we can't deal with the change. We don't know how to describe the change because the people on the outside didn't experience it for themselves. And so they start concocting this crazy story against Paul and Silas and the others that are on this missionary journey. And they're saying, Saying, we've got to stop this because people's lives are actually being changed. But also in verse 7, if you'll notice what, what they actually say against Paul, in verse 7, the, the last part here, the last phrase, it says, they're all defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. They were jealous. And not only was Paul preaching about a Savior and a Messiah that came to change their lives and give them access to heaven, but Paul is preaching about someone that he described as a king. Now, this is Jesus, and Jesus is a Savior, and Jesus is the Messiah. He's the only one that can transform our lives. He's the only one who, whenever we surrender completely to him and we receive the payment of his blood for our sins, that allows us to have access to God Almighty the way that God intended in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. That is who Jesus is. But Paul didn't stop describing him as a Savior, and he didn't stop at describing him as a Messiah. He also called him a king. Now, we can understand Jesus as Messiah. 
And we can understand Jesus as our Savior. And we actually get that. We preach it in our churches. We teach it in our Bible studies. We proclaim this good news of Jesus. But the good news of Jesus does not stop with him as a Savior. And it does not stop with him as a Messiah. It continues in our life as him, with him as a king of our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning... Who is the king of your life? Are you the little Peter in the refrigerator video standing there saying, Andrew, I'm not going to give you your spotlight because I want the spotlight. I'm going to be the king of this video right now, and I'm going to be the one that's actually calling the shots, and I don't know what you put up here in your magnetic letters, but I'm wiping it off because I'm living in this moment all about me. Are you living as Peter was in that video as the king of your life? Or have you lived a life that's been radically transformed by your Savior and Messiah, who is now your king? You see, there's a difference. And some of us believe that coming and kneeling at an altar and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord is sufficient in life. And while that is great, I would say that is a first step and not how we should be living all the rest of our lives. Once you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Messiah, you have to continue to allow him to radically transform your life. And it is a continuous process. Why is it that way? Because inside of us, we are built and wired all about ourselves. And Jesus has to get that out of us. Jesus has to radically transform all of us. Really, what's happening in Acts chapter 16... I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 17, is Paul is preaching that Jesus is in charge because he's the king. And those that are around those lives who've been transformed, who have continued progressing past Jesus as Messiah and are now living with him as king, they're saying, hey, we don't like what's going on because maybe they were selling the animals for the sacrifice at the synagogue, at the temple. Maybe they were uh, affected financially by the believers who were no longer giving to the bars, to the drugs, to the selfishness in their funds. Maybe they were upset because those on the outside were affected financially. Or maybe what they saw as they were maybe making uh, money off of a business who was caring for the poor, caring for the widows, and caring for the orphans. Maybe they had a business that was doing this work, but instead those who had Jesus as their king were stepping up and saying, hey, we don't need you. We're going to do the ones. We're going to be the ones to take care of the orphans. We're going to be the ones to take care of the widows. We're going to be the ones to take care of the needy. We're going to be the ones to actually feed the hungry. We're going to care for the homeless. Maybe that was a part of this societal change that was taking taking place because people were not only taking Jesus as their Savior and Lord, but they had let him get on the throne of their hearts, and they had actually stepped inside and said, God, you are king. Do with me and all of me however you see fit. You see, there is a huge difference in taking Jesus as your Savior, in taking Jesus as your Messiah, and then continuing to live with him as your king. And Jesus did not come to only be your Messiah. He didn't come to only be your Savior. He came to also 
be your king. So how are you living your life? We could say it this way. Who's really in charge here? Who's really in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Do you live it over, under the shadow of someone that's given you your dreams? Do you live it under the shadow of someone that has given you their wishes and said, I want this for your life? Do you live it under the shadow of a career, of a family structure, of the way you live your life? Or do you live it free from all the bondage of this world and only at the direction of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You see, the truth of the matter is that Jesus didn't come to finish second in your life. He came to be your Savior and your King. Second isn't sufficient for Jesus. He came to die to be in first place in your life. So who's really in charge here? Who's in charge in your life? Let's go a step further. Who's in charge in this church? It's not me. It's not our elders. It's Jesus. And if we want to be the church that God has dreamed for us to be as a refuge of grace, then every one of us have to kneel at the throne of the King of Kings and say, God, it's you that's in charge. But that's not just true for the church. It's true in your home. It's true in your life as well. You don't get to go home and say, I'm the one who wears the pants around here. I'm the one who calls the shots. I'm the one who makes the decisions. Because that's living the same way that little Peter did in the video. Wiping away the accomplishments of anybody else. But instead, we should live our lives where he's the one who calls the shots. Where God is the one who's on the throne. And it is him and him alone that we're actually living for. We don't have to live very long to know this. That life is hard on our souls. Life is just hard. Waking up every day, making ends meet, being in relationship with other people, and working to actually earn a living, and just being able to get by is hard. You don't have to live very long to actually know that. But it's the weight of the world that weighs so heavy on our souls but life is so hard on our fears, right? Life's hard on our worries. It's hard on our hopes, on our dreams, on our wishes. And then what happens whenever those things that are ours don't get accomplished the way that we want, then we start to live our lives in disappointment. And so then what we learn to do is we put on a happy face. We grin and bear it, some would actually say just to be able to get by, to go home and deal with those same disappointments, those same worries, those same fears, those same unaccomplished hopes and unaccomplished dreams and our own wishes. We go to school, we go to work, we hang out with our friends, we learn to do our best and we live our lives the best that we know how. But when Jesus is your king, you don't have to know how. 
Because he's the one that knows how. And we don't have to rely on our hopes. We don't have to rely on our own dreams. We don't have to have our own ambitions. We ask him what the dream is for our life. We ask him what his wishes are for our life. We ask him what the next step in our lives. And then we live as children of the King Almighty. Listen, we are not slaves, but we are his sons and his daughters. And therefore, he, as, we as his children have been given full access to his kingdom with him as the king. And we don't have to wallow in our disappointments and in our sorrows. We step out of that and we live as children of the king, of the most high, of the Lord of lords and the king of kings. I've been singing a song all week. I'm a child of the king, the old, old hymn. Praise God, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins. And this is what it means to live with that authority in his kingdom that is right now with him as the Lord of all of our lives. We don't have to build our own lives. Instead, we allow him to build our lives as his children. But we forget because of the inherent wired inside of us selfish nature that God has invited into his, us into his kingdom living for right now, for this very moment and this very day that you're living in. Jesus actually said it in a couple of passages of Scripture that I want to share with you from the, New, uh, from the Gospels. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus came to Galilee, and I want you to catch this, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, this is what Mark recorded Jesus actually said. The time is fulfilled. Catch this. And the kingdom of God has come here. Repent and believe in the good news. And then in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What Jesus is actually saying is, hey, I have come to launch this kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, one translation says. The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God is in your midst, another translation says. And what Jesus is saying is, I am here as the king, God in the flesh, to actually establish a kingdom right now to take back what hell stole in Genesis chapter 3 so that my children can live in my presence now as well as in the future. Jesus is saying, I've come to establish the kingdom by God's design as a reminder that he's still the king, he's still in charge, and he's still on the throne. And I'm sure in Genesis chapter 3, it certainly looked like the enemy was actually winning. That the enemy had taken charge and had done his job to separate mankind from God. The enemy was winning, it certainly looked like. But God didn't step off the throne because sin entered, sin entered into the world. What he did is enact his plan to bring himself back in relationship with mankind and his creation so that we would be able to experience him as the king, the savior, the Messiah, and the Lord of our lives. This is the God we serve. 
This is the God who's invited us into this transformative relationship that only He can give to every single one of us. This is God Almighty. So who's in charge here? Who's in charge? I think what God wants us to do is to step off the throne of our own lives and say, God, I've made some decisions on my own. Some have turned out okay, and some haven't. And regardless of the outcome of those decisions that I've made on my own, I repent of those moments in my life where I've made my own decisions. And I want you to step into my life to be the king of my life. I don't want you to play second fiddle, if you will, in the band of my life. I want you to be in front. I want to follow you. I need you to transform my life so I'm not living it out of selfish ambition, but instead I'm living it with you as the king of my life. So who's in charge here? Who's in charge of your life? You know, I watch in the church, and it, it, it just frustrates I mean the church as a whole. And it just frustrates me to no end. When I see kingdom pe- people that are supposed to be kingdom people that are living their lives where the king is not the one out front and the one actually in charge and actually leading everything. And so what we do is we take these worldly labels and we try to bring them into the kingdom so that others can see who we actually are. And so we would say, some people would say, well, I'm a conservative Christian, or I'm a liberal Christian, or I'm a centrist Christian, or I'm a capitalist Christian, or I'm a communist Christian, or I'm I'm this Christian, or I'm that Christian. Well, what if we just said we're Christians? What if we stopped taking worldly terms to try to define who we are as the King of Kings? And the Lord of Lords. And what if we set all of that aside and we said, I don't care how the Republicans land on issues. I don't care how the Democrats, the Constitutionalists, the this, that, or the other party lands on issues. I'm going to care how the king lands on the issues. And the truth of the matter is where you land in party probably at some point is going to contradict the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. The Democrats say, oh, we do all of this stuff. And so it aligns with the scripture. The Republicans do the exact same thing. We're against this and we don't like this and we, and we actually align with scripture. Listen, when you are putting your flag in those camps, you have allowed somebody else to step on the throne of your life and you are not living with Jesus as the throne of your life. The donkeys aren't going to save us. The elephants aren't going to save us. It was the lamb of Christ who actually came to save us. And only Jesus Christ can be king of our lives. Now, we're getting ready to go through another contentious election. And it frustrates me. Because in the church in America, we've allowed the outside influences to step into the church and to sit on the throne from time to time. Listen, I love our country. I am so thankful to God Almighty that I have had the privilege to be born and raised in the United States of America. I thank God, and 
Uh, on Tuesday, when we celebrate our independence, I rejoice. I love this country. But I don't plan to spend eternity in this country. I plan to spend eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is just for a while. This, this country that God has given to us is just for a while. And the truth is, the king, the scripture says, the king actually gives us our governments. He gives us our political leaders. I don't understand it, but I don't have to. He's the king. I'm just the son. And what we have to start doing as followers of Jesus Christ, as his sons and as his daughters, we have to make sure nothing is on the throne of our hearts so that he has room to sit on the throne and it is room for him and him alone. And that's what Paul is proclaiming here. And that's what everybody is upset with Paul about. Paul, verse, look at verse 5, 6, and 7 again. But the other Jews were jealous. They were jealous. These were people not in relationship with Jesus. Do you know why? I, this is my opinion. Do you know why I think that they were jealous? Because they saw some people who used to be selfish, who used to live their lives for self, who said, hey, I believe that God has a different way. I believe that God wants me to actually do this. You saw it in the lives of all of the disciples that Jesus called, the tax collectors, the fishermen, and on and so forth. Their lives were radically changed because Jesus was not only their Savior and not only their, their Messiah, he also was the king of their lives. And so the people were jealous. The Jews were jealous at what was actually taking place here. He goes on. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. That's how jealous they were. They were so jealous of the people whose lives had just been changed after three weeks of Paul preaching in the city. They saw the transformation that was taking place. Their lives were changed. And then in verse 7, we read it earlier at the very end, Paul was saying that there was another king, one called Jesus. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 12. Same Paul, same Paul we're reading about in Acts chapter 17, who is preaching the gospel, wrote in Romans chapter 12 this. He says, therefore, I urge you. I think what Paul would do is grab us by the shoulders and say, listen to what I'm about to tell you here. This is vital for your walk with Christ. I urge you to listen to this, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. Now, I want to point out two parts here. I've highlighted one part blue and one part yellow because I want you to catch what Paul is urging everybody to catch here. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to make your body a living sacrifice. The second part that you have to catch it has to be holy and pleasing to God. Your body has to be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. Now, the same Paul who is preaching about a new king here, the Savior and the Messiah, but also the king here, 
later writes, you have to make your body a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing or holy and acceptable here. You have to actually catch this here. Because what Paul is saying is the way that you live your life today, it has to be transformed. He talked about transformation in Romans chapter 12. And the way that that transformation comes is when you make certain that you are not the king of your life. Now he said you have to be a living sacrifice. Now, what does Paul mean when he talks about a living sacrifice? Obviously, we don't sacrifice the breath and the body. We don't sacrifice our own blood because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. I believe what Paul is talking about when we have to be a living sacrifice is that we crucify self so that the king invades our life. And then I'll use this extreme language, but I want you to catch it. So that then we are possessed by the king. Now, we understand demon possession. We talk about demon possession, and that is real. And whenever we see demon possession, what we say is that that body or that soul is actually possessed to the point that that body or that soul cannot control itself. Instead, it's possessed by a demon, and the body or the soul is not in control any longer. Well, we need to also think about this when it comes to being possessed by Holy Spirit. To the point to where we're not in control any longer. We're not making our own choices any longer. We're not having to wrestle with the right or the wrong in the issue. We say, God, is it right? And God, is it wrong? We are possessed by the Holy Spirit. You see, we have become living sacrifices We have sacrificed the selfishness inside of us. And as one pastor would say, uh, I heard him preach a message on this. He said, I got the hell out of my life. We get the self out of our life. We get all of the demonic hell world out of our lives. And then we are possessed by God Almighty. We are possessed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What God is, or what Paul is actually saying here, is we have to make certain, in view of God's mercy, he says, that we become living sacrifices with God on the throne of our lives, so that then we are holy and pleasing to God. This is the kingdom that Jesus invited us to. This is the inheritance that we have actually been given by our Savior and our Lord and our King. This is the people that he's actually called us to be. So the question for us has to be, how do you become a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? And I'll tell you, there's one way that you have to start, and it's so simple. Kingdom living, or being a living sacrifice, requires that you take time to learn about the king. If you have a camera and you take photos, I would take a photo of this. If you write things down in the sermon, I would encourage you to write this down. Because if we want to talk about kingdom living, and we want to see God as the king of our lives, then we have to make time to learn about the king. You've got to be with the king. 
You've got to walk with the king. You've got to talk with the king. You have to know about the king. So then you test the selfishness inside and you crucify it. It's a living sacrifice so the king of kings and the Lord of lords actually sits on the throne of your life. So how do you learn about the king? It's in the word of God. This Bible is a kingdom manuscript. It tells us about the king. And we, as a refuge of grace, are so committed to getting this kingdom manuscript inside of us that we have a preschool through 12th grade school that teaches every subject from a biblical worldview. But we can't keep the biblical worldview on that side of the campus. It has to get inside of every single one of us. This is the kingdom manuscript that tells us about the king. And it will help you fall in love with the king. And it makes certain that you are not on the throne of your life, but instead the king of kings and the Lord of lords is on the throne of your life. Jesus desires to be the king of your life. So, who's in control here? Who's in control of your life? I want you to ponder that. I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to leave here today thinking about that. Who's in control? When a decision faces you, who's making the decision? When you're dealing with problems in relationships, when you're dealing with problems in jobs, who's making the decisions? Who's calling the shots? Who's the king in that situation? And if it is not the king of kings and the Lord of lords, then we have to step away and say, God, I'm not making the decision. I'm not calling the shots. I need you. And then get in his word. Get in his word to learn about the king. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. Pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.